Virginia Tech bounced back and looked sharp in Brent Pry's Lane Stadium debut, but Virginia stumbled badly on the road in Big Ten country. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more, including some sports betting insight from Front Page Bets GM Mike Sveditz this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 88 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. Good Monday afternoon, Mike. Yeah, we're starting to get in a little rhythm, right? I think by, by week two, by week three, you start to get in that college football rhythm. You know when your weekly press conferences are. You know when your Zooms are. We know when we're going to record this podcast. Uh, starting to hit hit our stride, right? I hope so. <laughs> no, no promises. That would be a good feeling. Well, hopefully we make it through today's podcast without any dog interruptions. We've had a, an epidemic here in the neighborhood Uh-oh. of uh, um, very wonderful people and their dogs, but getting loose. Uh, and for whatever reason, they love to come down here by my yard, at which point my dogs absolutely lose their mind because, you know, there's a dog in the front yard sniffing their tree or there's a dog in the backyard sniffing the water table. And uh, let's keep our fingers crossed that the voices you hear today are David's voice and my voice and and not Bear and Charlie and any of the neighborhood four-legged scoundrels. Uh, So Virginia Tech, they were dogs uh, on Saturday night, right, David? (laughs) Nice. uh, (laughs) I see what you did there. I actually just stumbled upon that. But but a dominant defensive effort, good enough, I thought, on offense. You were there at Lane Stadium. Let's start before kickoff. What was the vibe? What was the energy? Was that place jacked up? Was it juiced for the Brent Pry era in Blacksburg to kick off? It absolutely was, Mike, weather notwithstanding. Now, it could have been a lot worse. <clears throat> Bill Roth, the the voice of the Hokies, texted me, I guess it was Friday morning, and said, brace for monsoon conditions tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, oh, mercy. And yes, it was wet, but it really wasn't that bad. And up, you know, you know the view from the press box, and in the upper right-hand corner across the field, in the upper deck, where they they give the poor visiting team <laughs> a, a, a pocket of tickets. Yeah, there were some empties up there, but it was officially a sellout, and absolutely the place was juiced, and the Hokies gave them reason to be for most of the night. Yeah, and you know, I think that was. Positive, obviously, in a lot of uh, ways. But number one, how are you going to bounce back uh, from a disappointing opener? Um, what kind of negativity lingers? Because right or wrong, I think I think Justin Fuente's era was sort of plagued by lingering negativity. Something didn't go well, and then it, it seemed to bleed into uh, the next week. And um, so I, I was curious to see mindset-wise, how would they bounce back? And then let's face it, like Boston College, no, they're not the best team in the ACC, probably closer to the other end of the spectrum, but they are a capable ACC team. They have a star at quarterback, a star at receiver. Uh, very curious to see how the defense would bounce back because remember, they played a great game at Old Dominion until the very end. Right. So was it going to be the great defense we saw for three quarters or that shaky bunch that was on its heels when the game was on the line. And David, you were there, but Tywin Garbett and that defense, I mean, they looked like the real deal. They really did. And Mike, we're not going to know 
how good a head coach Brent Pry is for quite some time, but I think it's pretty clear that this cat's a darn fine defensive coordinator because he was just that at Penn State. And as Hokies fans know, he's still calling the defense now that he's a head coach. And man, through eight quarters, the, you know, the, the late hiccup at Old Dominion notwithstanding, this defense does look legit. Now, Old Dominion and Boston College won't remind anyone of, of high-powered offenses. But to hold BC to four yards rushing yeah. and you know just make Phil Dracovic's life miserable, you know, sacked him five times, were in his face most of the night, you know, the BC's first seven possessions, Mike, till late in the second quarter, zero first downs, minus six yards. Hmm. That, that's about as dominant as it gets. And, and they were that way across the board. You mentioned Taiwan Garbutt at defensive end. And, you know, you made the dog reference. And he loves that dog tag that J.C. Price, the defensive line coach, gave him and, and, and some of his teammates up front because he wants them to be yard dogs. But it wasn't just Garbutt. I mean, Jalen Griffin was good the other end, and Fuga at defensive tackle, and for the second time in as many games, Dax Hollifield at, at linebacker, and the secondary was good. Um, you know, Keontae Jenkins, that move from, from safety to Sam linebacker, he's making it look easy. He looks very comfortable there. So, you know, through through two weeks – Virginia Tech's among the top five in the country in yards per play allowed. They lead the country in opponents' third down conversion. Doing pretty darn well. Yeah, it's been impressive. And, and Dax Holyfield, who's been very good throughout his career. Let's not act like it's a, a sort of a revelation, but he seems to be on, on a different level right now. And, and you know, I, I talked to him a bunch in the preseason. You know, I wrote a story about the leadership, and, and he talked about trying to be tighter with his leadership, be more concise, have a message. And he told me the message that he wanted to get across to his teammates was, it's about consistency. It's about every practice. It's about every game. It's about every snap. Um, it's about moving on to the next play. It's about being consistent and dependable. And and I got to say, I mean, through two games, the defense has been great. I think he's been I- incredibly dependable, consistent with a mix of, of a flair for some big plays in there. So I've really been impressed with, with Hollifield uh, so far this season. No question. And they, they need him to be that. And, you know, Brent Pry talked in, in the offseason that they wanted more from Dax. They wanted him to slim down. They wanted him to be more effective in space, you know, just be a more versatile defender. And I think that's what they have. Yeah, it's looked good. Now, on the offensive side, certainly enough offense to get through this game. I thought a nice bounce back game for Grant Wells. Um, you know, obviously he had his struggles at Old Dominion, the four interceptions. We've talked about the fact that, you know, two are probably on him and two were maybe uh, not so much his fault, but but not a great game in his debut. And, and I thought he looked good in this one. David, what did you see from Grant Wells, the Marshall transfer, uh, bouncing back here in game two? No picks, as, as you mentioned, Mike, after the four at Old Dominion. And not only no picks, I don't recall any throws that were close to being <laughs> picks. Or when he cut it loose, you thought to yourself, what is he thinking? 
none of that. And there were many of those at Old Dominion and not just the picks. Right. You know, he, he could have had more that night. So, yes, in terms of ball security, a much better game. And I was really impressed, Mike, there in the third quarter. I think it was the third quarter when all of a sudden BC you know, scores its only touchdown. And all the, this is a one-score game. Right. It's 17 to 10, and it's going through my mind, oh my gosh, if, if they somehow squander this as dominant as they've been, this could get really sideways. But on the very next possession, they go down the field and score, and the key play of that drive was an absolute dime of a deep ball that wells through to Caleb Smith who's still nursing some kind of a lower extremity injury. Brent Price said he's maybe at 80 or 85%, but he hauled in this 43-yarder, and then he caught a little two-yard flip near the goal line for a touchdown that made it 24-10. And then if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you can exhale because on this night, BC wasn't going to score two more touchdowns. No, and you mentioned, you know, Dracovic and, and how good he, he can be. But when you're doing it behind an offensive line that's not getting the job done, uh, it, it's it's a tough tough road to, to hoe there. And I think Virginia Tech's offensive line to this point has has looked pretty good. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that they've been able to pass block when they needed to. They've been able to run block when they needed to. David, tell me a little bit more about the running game Saturday night because it, it looked like a very effective but also very uh, by-committee approach to running the football. Well, it was a by-committee approach, Mike, I think in large measure because after he went 65 yards untouched for a touchdown, Keyshawn King was done. And again, some kind of of minor injury, and he subsequently tweeted out, I'm good, see you soon. So hopefully that's good news for Virginia Tech because you you wish ill health on on no one. But, you know, other than that one play, the running game, eh, was it was okay. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'd sure like to see Malachi Thomas back. And then, then they have that full complement of backs, and let's really see what they have. Yeah, this one kind of felt like, and they've talked about, hey, riding the hot hand. And it felt like after King went out that there was no hot hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, was, there was enough to get you through. Yeah. Enough to get you through also at wide receiver, where I think Caleb Smith looks the part. Uh, Connor Blumrick, the, I think they're realizing and finding yes. uh, comfortability and how to use him in a lot of ways. We'll, we'll talk about Blumrick in a minute. But, David, I, not much else in, yeah. in terms of another receiver. And they, they really need someone else to step up. They did a nice job of moving the ball around, getting it to some backs, getting it to some tight ends. But they need more wide receivers, don't they? They need either Daywan Lofton or Jaden Blue to emerge. I mean, the, the coaches have raved about each's potential, but we haven't seen it. And moving forward, you know, after – <clears throat> this week's expected walkover against Wofford, they're they're going to need more production from the wide receiver position because I think, Mike, you can make the argument that through two weeks, wide receiver is Virginia Tech's weakest position. And in college football 2022, that strikes me as untenable. 
Yeah, you're right. You can't live that way. Uh, I know the defense has been great, and they're trying to establish the identity of running the football, but uh, you've got to be able to, to sling the thing around the yard. That is college football these days. Now, David, Connor Blumrick is such an interesting piece, and they talked a lot about all the ways they would use him, and then I think we've talked about this, but at Old Dominion, nothing. like disappeared, and then they go to him on a few desperation heaves right on their last drive, but otherwise – not really involved. Sounds like at Boston, against Boston College, they found ways to get the converted tight end, converted quarterback, whatever you want to call him. They found ways to get him going. From the very first snap, because folks will remember that Shamari, or excuse me, Armani Chapman picked off Phil Dracovic's first pass of the night, took it down to, I believe it was the 14-yard line, and immediately on first down, they run Wells out to the right in motion and direct snap to Blumrick and the play didn't work. And I thought they were being a little too cute there to, to start the game. But after that, I think Blumrick caught four or five passes, uh, several for first downs, and he had a little wiggle to him. He made mm-hmm. dudes miss. And that's what to me was really striking. Yeah, he's got that. And it's funny, he reminds me, and it's 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 going to sound odd, he reminds me in some ways of Keaton Thompson, where if you can get him the ball, he, he just seems to do things, right? And you're talking about that wiggle. We've seen him in, in camp and in practices and before kind of pulling out of tackles. Um, he just seems to make a little bit more out of the play than maybe was there. And that's going to be very valuable, I, I think, for Virginia Tech. Um you know, no, I don't think he's the over-the-top deep threat that no. they need to stretch out defenses. But what he is is, is a very uh, valuable uh, kind of queen piece if you if you play chess. You can move him all sorts of directions, and mm-hmm. that, that creates some real good matchup problems. And, and you're right. That doesn't mean you can move forward without developing some depth at the position, some true traditional wide receivers. But uh, it certainly can bring an element to this offense that, that's very valuable. Yeah, Mike, I'm I'm sitting here looking at the stat sheet from the other night for Blumrick. He was targeted six times, five catches, 46 yards, 22 of those yards after the catch. That speaks to what we were we were just talking about is is his ability to be elusive. Yeah, that's that's incredibly valuable to have a guy that your quarterback feels comfortable kind of checking down and dumping the ball to. But the play isn't over, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And it, it rewards you for making that read, for making that check down, uh, if you can get a little more out, out of it. And um, Now, this week, you mentioned an expected walkover. They're hosting Wofford. Uh, Wofford has yet to score this season. Ooh. They have been shut out in both their games. Right. And I would venture to make the statement that neither of the defenses they faced were as good as Virginia Tech. <laughs> um, I, I think that Certainly on paper, this feels like an opportunity. We talked about Brent Pry, the defensive background, a real nice opportunity to get to get a shutout. Uh, yeah. So other than the fact that we expect Tech to win comfortably, what do we want to see in this game to feel better about this team going forward? Continued ball security, uh, a better better running game, uh, maybe maybe even although although do. You, do you bring out Malachi Thomas's first right. season debut uh, in, in a game you're you're expecting to win easily? That's a that's a fair question, I guess. I just think you you need a, or want a crisp effort from the offense, and then just f- from the team overall, just a 
a business-like approach mm -hmm. where you you don't let any drama seep into this and just go about your business and then get the second and third team guys onto the field and everybody's happy. David, and, and I don't mean to, to I don't know, be derisive in, in the way I'm, I'm comparing Old Dominion here. Old Dominion is much better than Wofford, a much more formidable foe. But I think that's what a lot of people wanted to see from this team on opening night a take care of business mentality mm -hmm. when you're the favorite. Now, they were on the road. They were against a team that time that was very hungry to do something. Uh, I think ODU is um, you know, obviously far more capable than Wofford. But I think you can question, does this team have that mindset because of what happened in Norfolk? And I think, yes, that is the number one thing for me, is can Brent Pry get them to put on their business suits, carry their, their attache case, and go to work? Right. And yeah, we know that, that this game isn't going to captivate the nation. Uh, and if it does, you're, you're in, a, in a bad spot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, if, if you, if you're the lead of sports center after the Wofford game, nothing good happened for you if you're Virginia tech. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the number one thing. And, 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 you know, we talked about Brent Pry showing they could bounce back. Uh, I think he's developing as a coach, talking about that balance with calling plays, but still managing the game. The hiccup at ODU, is he getting more comfortable there? All of that stuff, things we want to see. The next thing to see uh, in the evolution or the evaluation, maybe, of what kind of a job Brent Pry is doing is, can he get his guys to, to grab that lunch pail that they love so much and go to work against a team like Wofford? Agreed. And, and Mike, making it even more incumbent upon the Hokies <laughs> to dismiss Wofford early, get other guys playing time, they're looking at a short week because next up is the Thursday night home game against West Virginia. And with that short week, I don't think you want to overtax your starters. Right. And it's an interesting question you bring up about Malachi. Probably want to get him a touch or two before mm -hmm. that West Virginia game. But do you want to rush him at all back to face Wofford? Probably not. Um, so that's an interesting coaching decision right there. And you're right. West Virginia looming <laughs> their own problems, notwithstanding that, that that game has lost a lot of luster between what tech did uh, on opening night at ODU and what West Virginia uh, followed up and, and then followed up again with, with Kansas. Um, certainly uh, a little luster, I think has come off that matchup. It really takes a lot of work to lose by double figures in overtime. Yeah. And, and I'll just leave it at that. Okay. I mean, you, you could lose a lot of overtime games without ever accomplishing that. I don't know. Accomplishing <laughs> is the right word. But still, I, I think, you know, I think what's going to make that Thursday nighter special is going to be the atmosphere, oh, the yeah. rivalry, the fans. And uh, even if these teams keep laying eggs on their way into it, I, I still think it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun one. So Virginia did not have much fun at Illinois. And David, all of the things that Virginia fans were worried about, that the media was worried about, and honestly, that the coaches kind of hinted were the question marks, all of those things showed up in a big way Saturday at Illinois. The offensive line, their play was so poor, it just derailed that offense. It couldn't handle Illinois up front, couldn't run block, couldn't protect Brendan Armstrong, who was just humbled and ineffective in that game. The defense struggled uh, both with their run defense and giving up those long plays. Uh, 
everything went wrong. They had a, a huge gaffe on special teams when uh, Billy Kemp muffed a punt that led to the first mm-hmm. touchdown. So everything was bad. Everything was terrible. David, where do you want to start? Mike, Brennan Armstrong has spoiled folks. <laughs> and, 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 and I mean us in the media as well. We are so accustomed to his excellence week after week after week. And without question, Saturday was the worst game in which he has started at Virginia. I mean, he had never completed less than 53% of his passes. He completed 40.6% the other day. This was the first time as a starter when he played the whole game. He got hurt against NC State in, in right. the COVID year. It's the first time he's never thrown a t- he didn't throw a touchdown pass. And he, and, and he threw two picks. Now is this all on him? No, I didn't. Number one, I didn't see a lot of separation <laughs> from his receivers. I don't think they did him any favors. And you mentioned the offensive line. Jonathan Leach's return certainly wasn't a cure-all because Armstrong got sacked five times, and how many other times was he just running for his life? Yeah. It was it was a disaster really across the board offensively. Uh, certainly, it starts with the offensive line, but you make a great point about the receivers. And um, I think what Illinois put on film will be copied, understandably, by defenses, jamming Virginia's receivers at the line of scrimmage, which when you couple it with the fact that you don't have much time to throw mm-hmm. because the protection's bad, that is a uh, formula for slowing down a great passing offense. Brennan's most effective plays were he'd get the snap, takes almost half a step, and sling it out wide. Um, Didn't give a chance for the offensive line to let everybody on him and didn't give a chance really for the defensive backs to get up and jam the Virginia receivers and throw off the timing. But going forward, assuming that the line improves, assuming that they are functional, these wide receivers are going to have to be more physical at the line of scrimmage to get off the ball and get downfield to get that separation. It's just the timing was off the entire time. And, you know, yeah, if they had gotten cleanly off those jams, it probably didn't matter because you mentioned it, it's hard to complete passes when you're flat on your back. But, uh, you know, th- there were a lot of things beyond uh, Brennan having a bad day that, that led to Brennan having a bad day. could not agree more. And Mike, how many times last year did we see, you know, at Carolina, at Louisville, at BYU, you know, Virginia faced these deficits, but you just knew intuitively that Armstrong and the offense were going to somehow, some way make a game of it. They may not win, but they might. And I kept waiting for that. Saturday, watching on television from from the press box in Blacksburg, to the point where when it was twenty one to three, and it looks like Illinois is going in again, <laughs> and Jonas Sanker forces that fumble at the goal line, and Fentrell Cypress recovers very unwisely, doesn't take a knee, <laughs> and tries to bring it out, and ends up at the five. But then they hit the big pass to Lavelle Davis. All of a sudden, they're almost in the red zone. And what happens? They stall, and then Farrell misses a field goal. So they get no points. And that's when I start thinking, man, this isn't the same offense that could come from three scores back. They're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, you make a great point because 
21-3 in football is a big deficit. And it didn't feel that way <laughs> because of how quickly you felt like Armstrong could erase points. Mm-hmm. Um, the defense was not great. They gave up big yeah. plays, which which is a big focus of, of, of getting rid of that problem from last year. They struggled with that. Um, they, they struggled in the run defense, as we feared they might, because they weren't great against Richmond and Chase Brown in Illinois. That was a big step up. But 24 points, we're still of the mindset, I think, like, hey, if you can hold the other team to 24 points, Brendan Armstrong's mm-hmm. going to beat that. Well, if they don't figure out the offensive line, that whole mindset has to go. And, and maybe Brendan Armstrong, if you're in a tie game, he can be the difference. But three scores down, not with that kind of protection. No, absolutely not. And you know, to the defense's credit, they had four takeaways. And that that's all well and good. But as you mentioned, I mean, Chase Brown, before he got hurt, was averaging more than seven yards a carry. <laughs> that's... That, that that's that's an issue, yeah. and Old Dominion's going to try to exploit that. Old, Old Dominion ran it well, you know, against Virginia Tech, or, or well enough. And I expect the Monarchs to line up and run it right at UVA on Saturday. Yeah, a couple things about this ODU matchup, and when we just were both on a Zoom with Ricky Ronnie, and I was asking him about the offense because, and I said it on here, I, I thought Hayden Wolf. Uh, in the first three quarters of the Tech game was atrocious uh, and then got pretty sharp and pretty good in the fourth quarter. I thought he was pretty good their last time out here against East Carolina. And and Coach Ronnie kind of agreed that he's he's throwing the ball with more confidence. I thought the thing he said to me that was good, he said he's throwing to win the game, uh, not not just throwing to try to not lose it. Um, you mentioned the, the run game and how it functioned against Tech, who I think – you and I both agree Tech is the better defense between Tech and, and UVA. Uh, so right now, there are a lot of things in this matchup. Now, the difference, certainly, this one's in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have the crowd there the way it was at Old Dominion. Uh, I imagine that UVA, their antenna's up because of what ODU did to Virginia Tech. But just from a matchup standpoint, hey, there's some things about ODU that could be tricky this weekend. Yeah, Blake Watson's pretty good running back. Mm-hmm. Now he he didn't have a bunch of yards on on Saturday at at East Carolina, but I mean he he showed last year he was a thousand yard back in twenty twenty one had a decent enough game against the Hokies, and you know, what Virginia needs to do is follow Virginia Tech's script and get in in Hayden Wolf's comfort zone and and just make him move because he's he's not very mobile and the Cavaliers need to get after him a little bit get some pass rush yeah this is somewhere we just talked about you know with Virginia Tech the idea of grab your hard hat and your lunch pail and go to work I don't know this one for Virginia feels more like a game you need to go win Mm -hmm. Uh, right you know this isn't going to be a show up take care of business kind of thing. This feels like a game where, especially coming off the loss, coming off the way you played, and you better believe, I mean, if you're Old Dominion and you watch the, the tape of Richmond, the tape of Illinois, you're planning to run the ball 50 times, right? You're going to run the ball until UVA stops you or gets ahead of you and forces you to, to throw from behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there, there's some things, again, I think about this matchup that are going to be tricky. Is Virginia the favorite? Sure, they are. Um, but I'm intrigued to watch this ball game. Yeah, absolutely. And also intrigued to see how Armstrong and the offense bounce back. You know, if if nothing else, we know that Brennan Armstrong is fiercely 
competitive. You know, we, we saw it last year. You know, he ref- basically refuses to come out of the games, even, you know, in, in, unless the injury is dire. And he, he just wants to play. And that performance Saturday, you know, offensive line issues aside, he's, he's got to be just seething because he knows he's better than that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Brendan Armstrong and Phil Dracovic and some of these guys have a, a support group now that we've, we've all learned how to use Zoom, right? Maybe they hop on a Zoom call every Wednesday night to talk about life playing behind inferior offensive lines when you are a great quarterback because uh, that has to be frustrating. Well, this game, Virginia is a 10.5 point favorite. That number looks big to me, but we're going to bring in somebody who I think knows a little bit more about those numbers. Well, we are joined now by Mike Sveditz, General Manager of Front Page Bets. He's going to give us a little insight each week into Vegas, some of these lines, where we should go, especially with Virginia and Virginia Tech. And Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you, bud? Excellent. Good to talk to you again. And let's jump right into it. And, and let's start with UVA, Mike, who, you know, <laughs> I, I think it may take a little while for, for betters to accept the fact that maybe this isn't the same offense we saw a year ago, even though it's still got Brandon Armstrong. Certainly the game in Illinois probably opened some eyes, but Virginia's a 10.5-point favorite at home against Old Dominion this weekend. Mike, what do you make of this line and, and also that 53-point over-under against the Monarchs? Well, I think the first thing you got to think about is, okay, what, is, what has ODU done this year? Oh, yeah, that's right. They beat Tech. And so you, you've got you've to start there. If you're Virginia or a Virginia fan, you've got to say, we can't lose to ODU. No matter what, you know what I mean, and whatever the spread is. So if you're, if you're, you know, on the team or a fan, but if you're betting on this game, I, I really got to think you got to say that ten and a half points. What it was eight and a half. Tech was eight and a half point favorites yep. on the road, right? And so that now you got Virginia at home, and they're only two point more, more, you know, just more than two points of a favorite than Tech was on the road. So you got to say, all right, you know, what, what is what? What are we thinking here when it comes to? Um, you know, these two teams playing each other. And I think you, you, you got to take a little bit from that tech game, but you also got to look at Virginia, what they did against Illinois, which wasn't much. Um, and it is a different offense. It's a different, it's a different style. It's a different system, obviously with Tony Elliott being there. Um, you know, you would like to think that Brandon Armstrong and, and, you know, those receivers would, would have the, the you know, last, what, last year's game against Illinois, he, he threw for five touchdowns and, you know, they put up, you know, you know, video game like numbers it's a different team and so is illinois you know second year under burby lima um and you know it's just um i call him bert so anyway (laughs) it's a long story going back to the sec sorry it's 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 like a Freudian slip but anyway um you know you gotta look at this game against odu and say okay can virginia come out and score 53 is you know 53 and a half it's a lot of points again and and i just don't know if this uva offense can score that many points um consistently right now you know you saw it against illinois and again on the road a big 10 team who had two games under their belt odu showed that they could stop they could stop people especially against tech you know held them held them pretty uh held them pretty good but that's at home so now you make your biggest adjustment from week one to week two right is what everybody says so can so can virginia tech in going into this game against ODU, or so excuse me, can Virginia going into this game against ODU, can they make a, a, another leap when it comes to, um, you know, their offense and being able to, uh, you know, they played Richmond in the first game of the year. 
Bobcats, you know, it, you don't really get a lot from that. You know, you go on the road and lose to, to Illinois by two touchdowns or, you know, 20, you know, 21 points, or I'm sorry, was it was 17 points. And then you, you, you come back and you say, okay, can we, can, can they rebound a little bit? I think that 10 and a half is a lot, especially considering what ODU did. I definitely think it's an under 53, 100%. Yeah, those numbers jumped out at me. I, I think UVA will win this game against Old Dominion, but it feels like a touchdown game. And and like you said, I, I've seen nothing to believe that this is the kind of team that um, is going to put up 35-plus points in a game, which uh, is what you would need, right, to get to 53, considering you're a 10.5-point it just Those numbers didn't seem to add no. up for me. Now, on the flip side, Virginia Tech, they got themselves right at home. Uh, impressive victory over Boston College. Yeah. It's not a great Boston College team, but hey, it's an ACC team, and it's a yeah. team that's had some some back and forth here with Tech in recent years. They play Wofford next. This is a winless Wofford team. Mike, this is a team that hasn't scored yet this yeah. year. So before I ask you to set a line, maybe I should ask you, should we get a prop bet here of <laughs> yeah. does Wofford score in this game? Yeah, I think that's more of the more along the lines. You know, going on the road, I don't care who you are, and you're you're you know, you're Wofford, you're playing you know, you're a Southern Conference team, an FCS school playing on the road at tech. I, you know, it's a, it's a scary place to play. Yeah. Do they score? I think, you know, I think, I think Virginia Tech should win easily. It uh, shouldn't be close. I would say it's probably 35 point spread easy. You know, you look at, you look at just the two games that Wofford's played, they lose 26 to nothing to Elon, 31 to Chattanooga, 31 nothing to Chattanooga. Like you mentioned, they haven't scored. Um, I think Tech wins and wins big. They better. But again, when you're talking about college football, especially this season, we saw what happened on Saturday. App State beating Texas A&M number six at home. You know, Marshall beating Notre Dame number eight at home. I, you know, te- the way Texas played Alabama, the way, you know, Nebraska loses to Washington State, uh, you, you know, you can go on and on. Georgia, Georgia Southern beating, I'm sorry, Georgia Southern beating Nebraska, Washington State beating Wisconsin. Um, you look at some of these games, you say, man, anything can happen in, in, in college football this year, especially. But if you're Virginia Tech, if you don't win by four touchdowns, something's wrong. Yeah, and that, that that you know that prop bet on scoring is always fun because it kind of comes down, you would think in this case to the backups, right? Like, and it, it feels right. like we've been in those spots before where they're going for the shutout, and you've got the second or third right. team defense, and you've got betters over there pulling their hair out, hoping that yep. they can hang on, and right. and you always have the starters kind of on the sideline cheering them on, hoping for it too. It it was interesting weekend. You know, it's funny, Mike, uh, Charlie Huff, the coach at Marshall, kind of made the point, and you just referenced all these smaller, quote-unquote, smaller teams winning on the road. And Huff's point was, with all of these transfers who have been in bigger stadiums, who end up on these, quote-unquote, smaller teams, it's not as intimidating to them to be in these venues because some of them have played home games in these venues. Some of them have already played road games. It feels like the transfer wave has maybe eliminated some of the the awe of a a group of five team going into some of these big-time meccas of college football. Yeah, Mike, that's a great point. You know what I mean? You, you, and you don't think about with what the bazillion people that are in the transfer portal after, you know, this past season, you know, because as, as a better or as somebody who's watching these games, you've got to know a lot about these teams to, to feel comfortable because that's a great point. You've got a lot of these transfers coming in. So you really don't know, especially this early in the season, who can play, who has played, who's been where. And so you've really got to do a lot of your homework. That's why, you know, staying away from some of these games, you know, I saw yesterday some, you know, the parlays that 
that people were just throwing up Hail Marys. It's kind of like betting on Rich Strike, you know, at the Kentucky Derby. We're just going to take the, the, the biggest, you know, dark horse and throw, throw you know, 10 bucks on an 80 to 1 long shot. And these people are, you know, I saw a couple tickets yesterday. They're betting on App State. You know, you're betting on um, Marshall. You're betting on, you know, uh, whoever it is and and you know i don't know if they're skilling that or if it's just like hey i got a couple extra bucks let me throw that way but you you, you've got to really pay attention now if you're especially if you're going to bet on it on a on a non-power five non-group five team some of these like you said some of these players have played in big arenas and been around there and and football is not like it used to be one or two players can make a huge difference mm-hmm. in a game we've seen that in the last decade in college football with the schemes you get a quarterback you get a receiver you get a running back or a defensive player the whole game changes and i think that's what we're starting to see it's a lot more parity than it used to be now again there's have and have nots but you're, you're gonna see a lot more parity you could see a lot more of these upsets in these type of games for sure well, that makes it fun, but you're right. You got to do your homework. You got to do your research, or you can just tune in every week to listen to Mike Sveditz, the GM from Front Page Stats. <laughs> well, not after last week's pick, brother. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can't say anything. I had that Carolina Georgia State game, and I ended up with the push because Vegas knows best. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. All right, Mike. Thanks, bud. Well, David, let's go back and look around the ACC. And, and yeah, Tennessee got Pitt in Pittsburgh. But overall, I thought another strong week for the conference. And Wake Forest gets Sam Hartman back. I think that instantly right, and, and comes back. And, and I haven't seen – he was my vote for the quarterback of the week. I haven't seen the, the, uh, the award winners yet for the ACC. I know Tywin Garbett is the defensive line uh, men of the week in the ACC. I haven't seen if Hartman won that. Some other quarterbacks had big weeks too. But – Sam Hartman being back, Sam Hartman throwing for 300 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that instantly changes the way we think about Wake Forest, doesn't it? Yes, in a word. And Hartman was indeed, I just called up the release. Oh, good. The, the, the quarterback. The, I mean, 300 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Mm-hmm. And you know, could you have scripted a better re- return after his absence for for the medical issue and you know just in a nick of time for for wake because now he's got this week <laughs> at home against liberty and then the huge visit the following week from clemson and a game i think the the you know the entire acc is, is going to be watching to see how the Atlantic Division may indeed unfold, but you know, because I think we all believe that either Clemson, NC State, or Wake Forest is is going to come out of there and be in Charlotte for the championship game in December. So yeah, to, to me, when you, when you look around the rest of the ACC, yes, there were some encouraging things, but a number one, the story was Sam Hartman's return. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, had he come and, and played a quarter and, and looked a little shaky, you don't give up on a guy like that. Um, but Sam Hartman is such an interesting story, man. I mean, he's dealt with injury. He's dealt with losing that starting job. Uh, I talked with him in Charlotte about his relationship with Dave Clawson, and he said, hey, man, you know, this is a guy who benched me, a guy who picked somebody else to be. He right. said, we, we've, we've come a long way in our relationship. But uh, it, it's amazing. It's remarkable to me kind of where they are now. And, and to see him play at that high level, um, just really encouraging because we were all worried. And then um, it turned out he had a blood clot issue, had to have a surgery to correct. Mm-hmm 
correct it. And, and you just, you just never know, right? I mean, these are people and you go through something like that. Um, how do you come back physically? How do you come back mentally? And, and Sam Hartman to, to the outsider, at least, boy, he looked all the way back and, and good for him and good for the conference. Also good for the conference. And, and, and I know that Wake beat Vanderbilt. That's not the powerhouse in the SEC, but it's an SEC team. Mm-hmm. Duke undefeated under Mike Elko and they go win a game at a big 10 school. Now granted again, Northwestern, it's not Ohio state, uh, but Duke is better than we thought, right? David, this is an impressive start for the blue devils. It is. My only hesitancy here, Mike is, you know, Duke beat Northwestern in Kansas last year (laughs) early, and then it just went off the rails. But I, I, I did see a, a tweet today that for the first time in history, as in ever, Duke, NC State, North Carolina, and Wake Forest are all 2-0. How about that? Mm-hmm. That's why. Yeah. I, I wonder yeah, if there's That, that been- tweet, I, I need to give credit. Yeah. Brian, Brian Ives, who is a uh, ACC network I don't know if he's a producer, but he's a stat guru, and he's he's a really good Twitter follow. If uh, if, if folks are, are are looking for those things, and and Brian tweeted that, but yeah, the the, the big four in North Carolina, two and zero together for the first time ever. That's a great stat, and I do wonder. I wonder if there've earlier in earlier days, if, if there was a lot of playing each other early in the season that precluded that, because it, it just it, it's a striking number. Yeah, uh, and, and and I should mention, I know this. Carolina's three and zero, but this is the first time that right. the the four of them have have each won their opening two games. The other game that jumped out to me, and, and again, not so much because of the result, but the way Syracuse took care of Connecticut, mm-hmm. really showing off that Robert and I, Jason Beck offense, the, the former Virginia coaches who went up there uh, to revive the passing game. Because, right, we knew what Syracuse had in, in Tucker, the running back. Uh, he's as good as there is in the league, maybe as good as there is in the country. Uh, we knew they could run the ball. They wanted some balance. They wanted some explosiveness to their pass game. And it seems like in short order, they've delivered that and, and worked some wonders here with, with Garrett Schrader, the transfer quarterback. My Garrett Schrader is complete, small sample size, two games. But, you know, the first game was an ACC game right? against Louisville. Garrett Schrader is completing 79.2% of his passes. He's thrown five, touchdown, for five touchdowns, no picks. His passer rating is 205.5. <laughs> He's top five in the country in that. He's top five in the country in completion percentage. What does he look like? He looks like Brennan Armstrong. Yep. And gee, wonder why. Yeah. You know, Brennan gives a ton of credit to, to Robert and I, to Jason Beck. He yes, talks he about, does. you know, how they developed him and, and, and that relationship. And, um, you know, I, I don't think he's hurt now by some different coaching because of where he's at. No, uh, but, I don't. Right. I mean, it's so it's not about that, but it is about, hey, Anaya and Beck doing it again with another guy. I mean, at some point, you know, these guys are, are going to need, because I know Virginia fans, it was hard for them w- w- with Robert and I to move past the the tackle eligible pass to, to Haskins. And, you know, and there were some other doozy play calls, but th- this guy did a great job developing Brendan Armstrong and developing an explosive passing offense. And if you doubted that, well, now he's doing it again at Syracuse. Yeah. And 
Yeah, the, the striking thing, and we mentioned earlier Armstrong's struggles at um, at Illinois the other day. Virginia ended up on Saturday with 222 total yards. That's the fewest since the Cavaliers got shut out in Blacksburg five years ago. You know, that was a bad half. <laughs> for it, it was You're for right. the Cavaliers last season. I mean, they were throw, they were averaging like five hundred a game. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most prolific teams in the country. So yes, th- there's no doubt that the the thing to Haskins that'll that'll be on a nice, you know, or in his obituary. But clearly, he, he and Beck as as a team are really really effective. And who who would have thought, Mike? Is Syracuse Purdue that's the, 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 the more attractive non conference matchup this week than Miami Texas A and M? Right. I I, I I kid, but you know after Texas A and M's face plant against App State on, on Saturday, you know that's certainly taken some of the luster off of. Uh, off Miami, Texas A&M. I, I've got to think, as an aside, that College Game Day was planning to go to College Station right. from Miami, Texas A&M. And now where are they headed? And now where they, that's right. They're headed to Boone <laughs> for, for App State Troy, of all things. Which I, I've been to Boone. I've been to Boone for playoff games, and it yes. is a great atmosphere down there. Yes. Uh, but you're right. that That's certainly uh, a 9 o'clock Miami, Texas A&M game seemed like the, the one that, that should have been circled on the calendar. There's some interesting games. Uh, you mentioned Purdue-Syracuse. Vegas has that even right How about now. that? Um, and that one fascinates and that me. that's the Dome, right? That is that. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called now because it's not the Carrier Dome. Well, that's right. I forgot about that too. But, but whatever it's called, it's there in, in, in upstate New York, Purdue at Syracuse, Ole Miss at Georgia Tech. Uh, <sighs> Ole Miss is ranked. They're 2-0. and Georgia Tech – Already one and one. Lots of questions about that team. Lots of questions about Jeff Collins. Uh, that has a chance to get ugly. Uh, that, you know, interesting for that reason. Um, if they don't show up in that one, Texas Tech, NC State. I think that's the Huge. one for me. It is Huge. because I think NC State with their defense and, and they survive some scares, some injury scares there on the defensive side of the ball. It seems like all their guys are are okay. Uh, that game to me is a massive one. That's a seven o'clock game on on ESPN two. Texas Tech at NC State. Uh, I'm really intrigued by that one, and of course Miami and A and M. It should be another fun weekend. I hope you all had fun listening to us. Thanks for tuning in, and you can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show is produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week.